the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hey, good afternoon and welcome, ladies and gentlemen. This is Gino Geraci. So glad you could join me on this Mardi Gras. It's Fat Tuesday where I'm from. And, of course, um, it's Fat Tuesday in New Orleans, but it is Tough Question Tuesday right here on Crosswalk with Gino Geraci. This is the program where we take your calls and answer your questions about the things you care the most about, questions about God and the historical Jesus, questions about the Bible, questions about world views and world religions. And of course, if you'd like to join me on the air, it's 303-873-1935, 303-873-1935. Producer Jim is happy, happy to pick up the phone when you dial the number 303-873-1935 to ask me your tough question on Tough Question Tuesday. And so um, lots going on in the news. And of course, the issue that's taking place with Russia and Ukraine um, literally is seems to be changing by the hour. There's several different news outlets that... Um, claimed that Ukraine, um, well, Ukraine has claimed that Belarus joined Russia in attacking them. But other um, outlets, news outlets are saying, particularly the United States government, is saying that they don't see any indication to back that claim. Now, uh, the Ukrainian president, Vladimir uh, Zelensky, has basically made the statement that another nation has joined in the attack. So obviously Belarus has been used as a staging area for Russian troop. um, I'm going to use the term where the Russian troops amassed with, with personnel and provisions and then um, deployed from Belarus. Now, Hours later, Western allies hadn't backed up the reports, and Belarus itself was rejecting the claims. Politico reported, quote, in Washington, a U.S. defense official briefing uh, reporter said that the the U.S. had no confirmation that Belarusians are entering Ukraine. We've seen no indication. So the uh, Belarusian leader, Alexander Lukashenko, also denied that his country's military has joined the attack. So we do have to ask and answer that question of whether or not um, both troops and material support have been added by the Belarusian government. So we don't know. But I mean, obviously, we've got conflicting reports from two different sources and uh, again, in a tweet on uh, today, Ukraine said that Belarus has started to invade. Uh, the Vitaly Krylov, who's the spokesperson for the North Territorial Defense Forces, said Belarusian tr- troops have entered the Chernihiv region. And um, 
on Monday, again, the Belarus president said that the sanctions being applied to Russia are pushing it towards World War III. Now, that kind of talk coming from Loshenko is basically ratcheting up the temperature. Russia's being pushed towards a third world war. That from the Belarusian president, he said we should be very reserved and steer clear of it because nuclear war is the end of everything. Well, you know, it's it's hard to disagree with a the Belarus president when when asked, "Hey, what are what's the upside of a thermonuclear war?" And the right answer is there is no upside. Politico reported, and I quote, um, according to reports, a Belarusian column of 33 units entered the region north of Kiev or Kiev with with the mobile communications out. So lots going on. Um, we're trying desperately to try and figure out where we can get accurate information. Let's see who's on the line. Jim Walters, as always, it's great to have you on the phone. Thank you, Gino. And, hey, I thank you for the overview, but I want to drill down a little deeper. Uh, you always talk about worldview on Crosswalk. Right. How do you see Vladimir Putin's worldview in light of these actions? And how do you see these actions in light of Gino Geraci's worldview? You know, I... I, there's been a lot of people who are Putin watchers, and obviously many, many people have devoted not just hundreds of hours, but I'm going to say hundreds and hundreds of hours, including my friend Joel Rosenberg. And I think even um, people who support Vladimir Putin or who did in the past or who were keen watchers would say that Vladimir Putin's worldview is what some people have called a medieval imperialist. And by medieval imperialist, he his worldview is informed by 16th and 17th and 18th century Russian um, empire building. And now, again, he's born into the former Soviet socialist circumstances. He's It's well known that he was a KGB agent. But he, over the years, has strongly identified as a Russian Orthodox, quote-unquote, Christian, which, again, when we say Christian, I'm talking about a cultural Christian, not a born-again evangelical Christian who has a biblical worldview concerning heaven, hell, the need to repent of your sin and get right with Jesus. That's not Vladimir Putin. But Vladimir Putin does have a view about God. In other words, he's not just a philosophical materialist or an ideological communist. He is a person who believes that he's appointed by God to preserve the, um, the Russian state. So I know that Jim's going to hopefully be calling back 303-873-1935. So what does all of that have to do with my worldview. Well, again, in my worldview, there is a growing sense that God, in his grace and in his mercy, but also in his sovereignty, is moving the world towards an outcome. And by that outcome, I mean a prophetic outcome. So, Jim, are you are you back on the line? Okay. 
Well, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about this. 303-873-1935. That's the number if you want to join me on the program. And um 303-873-1935. I I think if I were to ask and answer the question does Vladimir Putin see himself as the savior of Russia? Yes. Does he see himself as restoring Russia's former glory? Yes. Does he see himself also as a person who wants to destabilize the NATO alliance? And I think that the answer is yes. 303-873-1935. Let's see who's up. Ernie, welcome to the program. You know, what is a tough subject there today. Yeah. Trying to figure all that out. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't... Pre- yeah, we've only got about 30 seconds. But what you wanted to ask me something? Yeah, in Matthew 5, 17, 18, 19, 20, Jesus, Yeshua, talking about the written law, uh, in verse fifteen twenty, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds that uh, of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Exactly. Now, in context uh, of that, when when it talks about exceeding the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees and entering into the kingdom. Uh, could you please explain that a right. little bit to me? You you hold on because I can't okay. do it in 10 seconds, yes. but if you don't mind holding, I'll be right back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> this is Gino Geraci, so glad you could join me. We're talking with Ernie, and Ernie, you had a question about Matthew chapter 5, and... Um, you said you wanted to hone in on verse 20? Yes, sir. And so what I wanted to just remind you about is the context. And the context is the Sermon on the Mount. You'll remember that Jesus said, you've heard it said, but then I say to you. And so remember, he's he's creating a contrast between the law of Moses. Now, this is important. The law of Moses as interpreted by the, the Pharisees and the scribes and his own command. And so when we ask and we answer that question, remember in verse 17, it says, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And so his point on the Sermon on the Mount is that God sees the heart. And that in the heart, there is this higher standard than the actual just simply conforming to a set of rules. So let me be blunt. The Pharisees taught that as long as you did the right thing, you were holy. Jesus said, no, no. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. So imagine the the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, and I have Jewish friends to this very day, who basically say it isn't what you feel in your heart or believe in your heart that's important. It's what you do with your behavior. In other words, how you feel or or 
think or reason or process or motivate inside isn't nearly as important as what you do on the outside. So Jesus is saying, no, that's not true. In other words, for the Pharisees to teach that submission to the law, you could submit to the law without submitting in your heart. So imagine you don't technically commit adultery. You don't technically steal, but you covet or you lust. Or remember, he's going to go on and talk about that and contrast that. So Jesus is teaching the necessity of having both the right heart and the right behavior. Now, as we think about that, unless you have the right heart, and the right behavior, you can't go to heaven. In what sense? Paul is going to argue, hey, you know what? There's none righteous. No, not one. All have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. And so when we ask and answer the question, what do you mean, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law? Remember, righteousness is a standard that conforms to the nature and the character of God. In other words, how right do you have to be to be right with God? According to Jesus, you have to be perfect. Who's perfect? No one. Who's eligible to become righteousness or righteous according to God's standard based on both their heart and their behavior? Since it only takes one sin to disqualify you from heaven and qualify you for hell. So here's Jesus teaching the necessity of having the right heart and the right action. You have to have the right motive as well as the right motion. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Yeah, understood. Um, uh, Yeah, I I, I totally get that. I, I'm uh, just I'm studying in the book of Matthew right now, and right. you know when when we think about how right do we have to be in God's eyes, and that's obviously only through faith in Jesus. Well, and we, that's the point. That that's going to become the point. The whole point of the gospel becomes self righteousness. Not only will not qualify you for heaven, it will qualify you for hell. Self-righteousness. Yes, which is what the Pharisees had. Exactly. Self-righteousness. So God requires a transformation of the heart. How is that Mm -hmm. even possible? Well, you have to be born again. Be born again. You have to be born again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember, Paul is later going to argue... How many people are saved by keeping the law? Nobody. That would be zero. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So so, so Paul is going to also argue, well, didn't, does that mean that the law is bad? No. No, the law is good and proper, because its purpose is to define sin and to delineate holiness. Jesus isn't negating the law. He's showing us the reason for the law. And that's what Paul is going to argue when he says the law is your teacher or instructor to bring you to Jesus. And so here's Jesus. Jesus fulfills the law. 
So in the grand scheme of things, how many people have fulfilled the law? Only Jesus. Jesus was the only human being ever to keep the whole law. Now, here's the key. Not just simply by being without sin, like it says in Hebrews 4.15, which I believe. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. So here, here he is. He's yet without sin in his heart and in his actions. And so, again, this Sermon on the Mount, if you will... Jesus is actually preaching a kind of a message that's supposed to draw people, not just simply to himself, but away from the teachings of the Pharisees. That's why he said, the scribes and the Pharisees, you've heard that it was said, and then follows it up with, but this is what I'm telling you. Mm -hmm. So that's... And so that's part of the point in the very next verse. So we think about the context. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Now, the external command, don't murder. That's good. Like Dr. Martin Luther King used to say, you know, uh, if I have to choose between a man hating me in his heart and hanging me, I'm going to choose him hating me in his heart. But that's a lower standard than what God has. God's standard is you have to love him in your heart and not kill him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Because that's um, the point Jesus is making. God sees your heart, and if you hate him in your heart— you're just as guilty. Now, again, people yeah. make fun of Jimmy Carter because, you know, he did that, That uh, you know, Jimmy Carter was from the South, and he talked about doing that Playboy interview, and he talked about having lust in his heart, and people laughed because it just seems so quaint. But he's making an important point. And the important point is, remember the Pharisees' attitude. I'm good. I haven't killed anybody. My father would say... I've never killed anybody on Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what about Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday? Just because you were able to go without killing people one day of the week doesn't make you a good person. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they're written in the oral uh, laws in Judaism. Uh, uh, It's fascinating uh, study. So, hey, thank uh, you for your call. Hey, thank you. <laughs> this is Gino Gerasi, 303-873-1935. You know, I just want to come back to something real quick before I, we go to our break. 303-873-1935. You know, some people say that Vladimir Putin is motivated by history. I think that that's true. Is he motivated by religion? I'm going to suggest to you that in a very real sense there is a religious component but I also think that there is a delusional component that Vladimir Putin might be under the influence of demonic spirit beings is that possible? I think so 
This is Gino Geraci. Hey, welcome back on Tough Question Tuesday. And it is a tough question when we ask and answer the question, how do I get into the mind of Vladimir Putin? And the right answer, in part, as it has to be, I don't know the answer to that. We can, we can um, talk about things that he said in the past and things that he's saying in the present, um, but it's going to be very difficult to answer those questions. But 303-873-1935, that's the number if you want to join me on the program. would love to take your call. 303-873-1935. Um, you know, I've been talking a little bit about um, Joel Rosenberg, who has literally uh, posted on a podcast some of the important implications of this. And I would encourage you to go to his website at All Israel News. He is a wealth of information. But again, if you'd like to join me on the program, it's 303-873-1935. It makes perfect sense that we talk about Mardi Gras, or Mardi Gras, and it comes from two French words, Fat Tuesday. And it's the last day of a season called Carnival. And the carnival season is characterized by merrymaking, feasting, dancing. And Mardi Gras is the culmination of festivities and features parades and masquerades. And unfortunately, a lot of drunkenness and shameless debauchery. And carnival is typically celebrated in Catholic countries of Southern Europe and Latin America. And so... You'll remember that New Orleans at first was part of a Spanish province, and then it was part of a French province, hence the two French words, Mardi Gras. So so the excesses of carnival or carnival may not seem to have much in common with the austerity of Lent, but the two seasons are inseparable. In other words, today, today is the last day before, quote-unquote, Ash Wednesday. And so Ash Wednesday has traditionally initiated on the calendar the beginning of Lent. So Fat Tuesday is the Tuesday before Ash Wednesday. And therefore, the end of Carnival is, is followed immediately by the beginning of Lent. Lent is a time of fasting, and uh, penance in certain traditions, most notably in Roman Catholicism, in preparation for Easter. So Carnival is seen as a time of indulgence before the fast. It's for many people the last day that you get to sort of indulge, if you will. It's that last binge before giving up something for the next 40 days. 303-873-1935. And of course, the big question, what does the Bible say about this? And of course, the Bible doesn't say anything about this. There's nothing in the Bible that suggests that early Christians observed either Carnival or Lent. Matter of fact, there seems to be uh, good evidence that the Bible, in its balanced presentation 
of how to conduct yourself and how to live the Christian life uh, doesn't gravitate to either of those extremes. And so, again, 303-873-1935. And, of course, there is no, I repeat, no biblical support for uh, the kind of fleshly indulgence that's been generated on Fat Tuesday. The Bible forbids drunkenness and what the Bible calls revelry or carousing. We would use the term party, but it's the kind of drunkenness, carousing that leads to sexual immorality. Now, of course, we are living in a culture and a society that is experiencing what I would call sexual anarchy. In Romans chapter 13, verses 13 and 14, it says, let us behave decently as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and debauchery, not in dissension and jealousy, rather clothe yourself with the Lord Jesus and don't think about how to gratify the lust of the flesh or the desires of the sinful nature. So in general, Mardi Gras revelers engaged in a binge of sinning before an alleged time of consecration to God. So the celebration of Mardi Gras fosters the notion that you can do whatever you want on Fat Tuesday, as long as you show up for church on Ash Wednesday. It's the bender before the benediction. And it is, of course, not in the Bible. (laughs) And of course, that's today. Next year, it'll be February 21st. The year after that, it'll be February 13th. 303-873-1935. That's the number. If you want to join me on the program and happy, happy to take your calls. Um, Lots to talk about. And, um, you know, I was talking about the spiritual dimension of what might be going on in the head and the heart of Vladimir Putin. Not making this up. A Catholic priest, a Catholic priest in Ukraine, reportedly announced that they were going to conduct an exorcism ritual to rid Putin of the evil spirit that he believes could be influencing the Russian leader. Now, that might sound shocking, surprising, difficult to grasp. I alluded to this earlier where I said, is it possible that there are supernatural powers at work that influence the leaders of the world? The Bible seems to indicate that the whole world lies in the lap of the wicked one. Not making it up, there is <laughs> there's an article at faithwire.com with the head with that headline that a priest has announced that he believes that Putin has an evil spirit and um it, that article mentions the the name of the priest 
whose last name is Kulbaka. He reportedly took to Facebook earlier this week to announce plans to combat Putin with daily exorcism rituals. He said, quote, as of today, I am committed to performing the exorcism ritual daily aimed at Vladimir Putin. This, according to the priest, he said, I believe that an evil spirit may inspire the actions of this man. Now, this brings up a whole plethora of other kinds of questions, and that is, can you exercise demons from afar? What about the ritual of exorcism? Um, All kinds of different questions could come out of this. But according to the article, exorcism is is a spiritual effort to drive out evil from individuals believed to be afflicted by demonic influence. The end goal is to free a person from the sway or the control, sometimes the total control of demonic spirits. And Kulbaka purportedly made it clear that he believes Putin requires this kind of spiritual intervention to stop the diabolical actions. Obviously, there are religious people and spiritual people and evangelical people who have called for prayer. But this is the only one, I think, calling for exorcism. But he may not be alone. He may not be alone. This is Gino Geraci. I'll have more when we come back. 303-873-1935. I'll be back. Hey, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. I'll have more on this when we come come back. I've been talking about uh, this priest who reportedly announced it. He's going to perform an exorcism ritual. I'll have more to say about that. But I want to take your calls, 303-873-1935. Jamie in Littleton, welcome to the program. Hi, Gino. Thank you. <laughs> you are welcome. So yesterday, as I was you know, watching some of this stuff on the news unfold, I had like this feeling come over me and I, I thought I need to pack a suitcase. I need to have like an exit plan because I don't know what this demon is capable of. And it, and I just was like, how do I, how do I pray against this demon? In my head, I'm like, Okay, angels, good angels, just come into Russia. I, I don't even know. I'm, I'm like at a loss, but I, I do feel like there is some type of demonic presence because how do you, you're, you're killing well, doctors who are trying to say, I, I just, it's hard for me to well, think of it as any other way. Well, and I think that this is the resonant chord, you know, that, Christians understand that there seems to be a demonic component to this. In other words, it isn't just about a misguided person who has misguided beliefs and they're willing to hurt people in order to um, further their agenda. You know, think about our own country where we have a group of people who are willing to have abortion on demand at any point up until the time of the birth of the baby. There's a lot of wickedness going on. So when you talk about how do we pray, and remember, I know it sounds cliche, but the Bible says fear not, and it says it a lot of times, more than 300 times. 
It says, don't be afraid, fear not. And, and again, in first Peter chapter two, verse 17, it says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. So here we are and we go, no, we're, we're trying to create a mechanism where we, that doesn't mean that we can't have opinions, ideas, or even criticisms um, about talking about right and wrong and good and evil. But it's the fear of God that keeps us from sin, and it's the fear of man that leads to sin. And remember in Proverbs twenty nine twenty five, it says that it's the fear of man that brings a snare. And so the biblical command, don't fear, doesn't negate the need for prudence or caution. So you, here you are, and you're talking about, hey, do I need to have a plan <laughs> to yeah. uh, in the event that something goes wrong? And I think it is okay for you to have a plan in the sense of what do you do if there's an electronic device or an an electromagnetic pulse that's released and you don't have any, you don't have any electricity or you, you get shut down or even just think about COVID only you have to isolate and you have to shelter in place. Um, But what if you had to do that for 10 days in a row or for 14 days in a row? And and so there's varying ways to think about this, but should you have an emergency plan? And I think that it's okay to have an emergency plan, you know, to have food and water and, and thoughtful consideration. But that's different from living in absolute anxiety and fear. So again, somehow we have to have a balance. And I think the balance is we're not to just pretend like there aren't real problems and to laugh it off or, you know, look both ways before you cross the street. It's to have, I think, a thoughtful uh, response, a thoughtful response. The Bible says, don't be afraid. Obey God. Um, look to the provision that's in God's word. And so there's another thing that comes to my mind. Are you listening? I'm. Yep, I'm listening very intently. Okay, here it is. We're not to fear the plans of the wicked, even when they come to power. In Psalm 37, verses 1 and 2, it says, Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Don't be envious of wrongdoers for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. You know, mm-hmm. I think about some of like Saddam Hussein, for instance, where, you know, he, he invades Yemen. And I, I'm when we think about all the awful things that went on, remember we had to dig him out of a hole and then we hung him by the neck until he was dead. Muammar Gaddafi caused a lot of problems, and they killed him. I'm not saying that there's a group of people who are going to assassinate Vladimir Putin, and I'm not saying any of that at all. What I am saying is that there's a God in heaven mm-hmm. who judges rightly, and that we're not to fear the plans of the wicked even when they come to power because they're not going to stay in power. It says in Psalm 37, verse 9, all the way to verse 17, 
for the evil doer shall be cut off, but those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Now, right now, it doesn't seem that way. It looks like they're with us for a very long time. But according to the Bible, their presence, they're short timers. And this mm-hmm. is where, where the, in that passage, there's that interesting statement in Psalm 37. It says, in just a little while, there are going to be no more. Though you look carefully at this place, he will not be here. But the meek will inherit the land. Mm-hmm. The meek will inherit the land. In other words, is there going to be wars and rumors of wars? Yes. Um, are there going to be problems? Yes. But... Again, according to the Bible, we're justified by God, and we don't have to fear divine condemnation because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Are there wicked people in the world who might condemn you? They might imprison you. They might even kill you. But you're already chosen by God for salvation. You're chosen by God. For salvation. You've been chosen by God. So the only thing that you quote unquote have to fear is his rejection. But then Paul writes and he goes, you don't even have to fear that because in Ephesians chapter one, it says he chose us in him. That's in Jesus before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So here Paul is basically arguing, you don't have to be afraid that God is going to go, you know what? I've changed my mind about Jamie. <laughs> He's not going to change his mind. And so... Yeah, and, and it's not like, for me, it's not like a living in fear thing, but it just was a, a realization that, you know, I, I don't know that this guy is going to stop. Like, he's not going to go out without a fight. And in that, I should not be naive, and I should at least somehow do my part in being prepared. Right. And, you know, there was a stupid thing that was issued by our government. I grew up in a, in a, in a world where in the first and second grade, we had drills, and we would literally duck underneath our desks and and put our hands and we would literally be told to go into the fetal position under our desk in our government today it says hey in the event of a nuclear strike well you know if you're in a shelter make sure you wear your mask and social distance it it shows just how disconnected this government is from what would happen if there really was a thermonuclear exchange mhm But again, two things, God's plan, sovereign plan for the unfolding of human history is going to take place. Yes. And God's sovereign plan and unfolding plan for you is going to take place. But again, be smart, be wise as a serpent, be gentle as a dove. I'm just going to keep repeating that for the world. God's sovereign plan will take place. God's sovereign plan will take place. You can't stop it. Thank you, Gino. Thank you for calling. This is Gino Geraci. Thanks for joining me. I'll be back taking your calls, answering your questions when we come back. Thank you. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.